Welcome to the Juno Report for September 2017. I'm Nolan Crabb. This month is part two of a two-part series in which we feature the remarks of Del Rodman, a longtime trainer and field representative for Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Last month, Del focused on distractions. This month, he looks at sniffing behaviors in your dog and gives you some tips on how to handle an overly exuberant guide dog when guests come to visit. That and audience questions all coming up in this edition of the Juno Report. Let's talk about the all-consuming, self-interest, self-rewarding behavior of your dog in regards to sniffing. Get over it. If you think this natural, self-rewarding, self-interest behavior of your dog can be totally controlled, then I want to ask you what planet are you from? And I really might suggest to you that you need to go back to a white cane because it just ain't going to happen. When I'm in the field, I I view sniffing in two categories. I look at it as generalized sniffing and location-specific. And the way I look at generalized sniffing, I look at it when your dog is not in drive. And by drive, I mean every dog has a natural pace. You know when your dog is focused well, and you know what that pace feels like, right? You know when your dog's out there working and working well. I call that being in drive. When a dog isn't in drive, the dog could either be too slow or the dog could be too excited and way too fast. And if your dog is too slow or your dog is too fast, are there any guesses out there what your dog might be inclined to do? Sniff, you say? Yeah. They're going to sniff because they're not focused. And they're not getting any information from you. It's a very natural self-interest, self-rewarding behavior that your dog loves to indulge in. You, the handler, by not keeping your dog in drive or allowing this self-rewarding behavior to perpetuate. Also, by not keeping your dog in drive, you prevent yourself from being in the position of not having to tell your dog what not to do. And by that I mean, no, leave it, hop up. And your dog says, yeah, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to hop up because I'm going to go right to the next bush because that's all we're doing. You're reacting to the dog sniffing. It's not the problem most of the time. In my experience... The problem in generalized sniffing is most often alleviated by working with the grad to keep the dog in drive. If I just simply focus on the grad and getting the dog to move at what is drive, natural pace, sniffing goes away. It may be getting the dog to increase the pace to get back to natural drive. It may be I have to put a little pressure on the dog to steady down. Because he's so freaking excited, he's going to drag you from the bush to the bush to the bush to the bush. You're busy correcting for the sniffing. I'm here to tell you, my experience is not the sniffing. It's the drive. The dog is not in drive. The dog is not focused on you. And the dog is not focused on the work. That's my humble opinion. Let's talk about location sniffing. Remember the example of the dog sniffing the pole or the building line before going to the curb? That's an example of location sniffing. It's predictable. I know when I travel down the street, my dog is going to sniff at that pole, sniff at that building line. This can be handled in a very proactive manner, meaning, hate to say it, folks, shame on you if you know in advance that your dog is going to sniff that same building line with that pole on a daily basis, and you wait for the dog to sniff, and then you react. That's not being proactive. That's giving the dog all the power. You're just simply reacting to what the dog does. 
If that's your mode of working with a dog, well, good luck. It doesn't work well. What I have people do is I have them take the leash out ahead of time in anticipation of the dog sniffing because I know the dog's going to sniff. They know the dog's going to sniff. As we take the leash out, we begin to encourage the dog to drive so that the dog will go past the building line or the pole to the curb. Why do we have the leash out? So that the moment, the moment, not 12 steps later, not when the dog is hanging his head on the pole, the moment you feel your dog's head turn to sniff, you can very quickly redirect your dog. It's going to take time and consistency on your part, but eventually you are going to have a clean, no sniffing approach to that curb. Could you use the technique of touch? Don't do this, do this. Sure you could. I don't find the graduate's going to take the time in regards to location sniffing. Simply because location sniffing, it's really more annoying than unsafe when compared to a, a moderate or severe dog distraction. And it takes time to use touch correctly. So you really need to decide when you want to do it. It's the same when entering a restaurant. My dog, when he enters the restaurant, tends to sniff all the tables, yada, 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 yada. And I say, shame on you. If you know ahead of time that the dog's going to do it, and you're waiting for the dog to do it, and then you're complaining about the dog doing it, well, your dog's going to do it for the next frickin' eight years. <laughs> Unless you decide you want to be a little bit more proactive about it. Like, maybe you might want to take your leash out. And maybe the moment the head turns, you might want to redirect your dog. So you do have to have, if you have consistency on your part, it makes your life simple. And believe me, when you're consistent, it really makes your dog's life simple. So this is uh, just an observation I've had at the conference, watching um, all sorts of dog handlers. And rarely, rarely did I see a handler approach a table and then tell the dog what to do. And remember, when we're working with dogs, we really do want to tell the dog what to do, not what, not what to do. We're trying to teach the dog. We're trying to create and mold behavior. I saw everything but what to do. It was all about what not to do. No, leave it, stop sniffing. No, leave it, stop sniffing. I even heard of four-letter words a few times in reference to the dog. Would you please stop that? I even had a gentleman come over to me and, you know, confess that the lovely golden retriever when he was talking and turned his back. This was an exhibitor. The dog went under the table and ate his sandwich. He thought it was quite funny. No, I mean, dogs are dogs. I laugh, too. I mean, dog, you know. Don't get a dog if you don't ever want to be embarrassed. But why not? Why not approach the table and tell your dog what to do? Approach the table and tell your dog down. And stay. And reward the dog. You know, if you do that consistently, I will absolutely 100% guarantee you, and I'll pay much better than the casino does down there, that if you did this every time and you were consistent and you rewarded your dog, you'd approach the table and after a while your dog would just lie down because it says that's what we do. That's what I've been trained to do. But no one does that. They just kind of hang on to the leash and talk and pull. And if you're not concerned about that behavior in regards to yourself, think about the other people with dogs. They're trying to get by you. They might be trying to be worked by you. And your dog is sticking his or her nose up that dog's butt in that dog's face, distracting their dog. So, if not for yourself, think about someone else. Put your dog on a downstay. And uh, believe me, the dogs are much more comfortable when they know what to do than when we're constantly telling them what not to do. Okay, so you don't want me to sniff. What do you want me to do? You haven't told me. You let me do figure it out on my own. And as I said, if you let them figure it out, Dogs are dogs, and they're going to do what they want to do. So the third thing I want to talk about that I get calls about in the field is the greeting of guests when they arrive at your home. Oh. Right? We had that happen? Yeah. 
your dog gets a wee bit excited, well, maybe your dog gets more than a wee bit excited. So we can either be proactive or we can be reactive. Hopefully, at this point, you're thinking more proactively. So what's the first thing to be proactive you need to do? Any ideas? Come on. Do what? You could? Yeah. You could. But do I think it's being proactive? I need to talk to my freaking guest, and I need to tell them the rule. That's the first thing I need to do, because I need to make sure my guest is going to behave appropriately towards my dog, because I'm working on a problem. And I find that most of the time, it's the guest that's about 60% of the problem. Hey, how you doing, dog? I haven't seen you forever. Oh, you're out. oh no, no, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry if he jumps on me. I don't care. It's okay with me. I love your dog. Ba, 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 ba. We've all heard that, right? And your dog's going like an idiot? You're saying, well, maybe you do, but other people don't. So first thing you do is you need to make it very clear to your guest to ignore your dog. It's going to, it's going to go a long way to helping you gain control. I once had a grad I was working with, and she had lots of problems with this. So we put a huge note on the outside of her door. And it said, ignore the dog. And that means you. And you was underlined. Because everyone, think, everyone thinks, oh, it doesn't mean me. The dog loves me. I love dogs. So it couldn't be me. So we're trying to get people to understand, leave the dog alone. You know, my personal experience, and I go into a lot of homes to do a lot of home interviews, and I see a lot of graduates. I walk in and I ignore the dog. Whether it's a guide dog or a pet dog, I ignore him. I don't make eye contact. I don't do anything. And what I find, the frequent comment that I get from most people is, wow, how come my dog's not jumping all over you? How come my dog's not barking at you? Or my dog's barking and I said, leave the dog alone. He'll, he'll eventually stop. Because I ignore the dog. They're getting nothing from me. They're getting no challenge from me. I'm not staring at them. I'm not trying to convince them, oh, what a good guy I am. I just ignore them. And if we took the human element out of it, it's going to go a long ways in controlling the dog. So now that we've hopefully taken care of the human element and our visitor understands their role, now we need to teach the dog a behavior, something that they can do, right? Not just what you can't do. You can't go see the guest. You can't jump on the guest. You can't bark. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't, 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 can't. You're not teaching your dog a thing. You're just telling them what they can't do. All right, I can't. So what the hell do you want me to do? So we have to teach them a behavior. You could teach them a new behavior. You could teach them to go to your place, which means go to a mat. But why? Why when your dog already responds, responds well to touch? So do I need to teach a new behavior? No. My dog responds to touch. Now comes the real fun part. You can then link the behavior of touch, which in this case is a self-control behavior, to a fun behavior that your dog desires. And what does your dog ultimately desire at this point? Now, come on, you're not asleep. They want to go see that guest. Right? That's what they really want to do. But I've, I've now taught them the behavior, self-control. They want to go see the guests. Now that my guest has been able to sit down without being accosted by the dog, and I can say to them, I'm going to turn the dog loose, and I want you to continue to ignore the dog, please. So I'm going to, at that point, 
unclip the leash and calmly and emotionally use the cue free. So your guest has already sat down. Again, you've had time to review that you're going to do this. Ignore the dog. Don't look now, but you've just used the pre-MAC principle of training. You've bridged two behaviors, and you've let the dog self-reward himself. First is a controlling behavior. Second is you let the dog do what they really want to do. They want to go see the guest, but they're not going to get much from the guest. Eventually, they're not going to be as excited, but they're still always going to want to go see the guest. So you're using pre-MAC as a training principle. And this is one of the few times that you can probably get away with this as someone working with a guide dog. Because if you really wanted to use pre-MAC and you were really bold and really crazy, you could use it in the midst of a dog distraction once you controlled your dog. I could. Yeah, sure. Why not? My dog goes towards the dog. I use a controlling behavior, touch. I control my dog. Ultimately, my dog wants to go see that dog. If I were real stupid and want to use pre-MAC, I could turn my dog loose and say free. He could go see the dog. It's a little bit of a problem when you don't have any sight <laughs> because your dog might be distracted to that dog across the street. Not a good idea. Your dog might be distracted to something that you don't want them to go see. So it doesn't really work well in that case. In this case, it works really well. A nice controlling behavior. We cut the dog loose because at that point, they want to go see that person. So you've given them exactly what they wanted. You have taught them, control yourself, and you're going to get what you want. It's pretty easy to do. So I've covered distractions. I've covered sniffing. And I covered guests. We've covered those three things. And hopefully you've gained a little bit of um, information out of that. So now I just want to talk a few minutes about you know the crazy thoughts that go through my mind. Thoughts that I ponder. In other words, uh, pardon my language, BS. So these are just things I think about. And I know you're going to hear these things. And, but you know what? You've got to hear them. Because i got the microphone and you've got to be polite. So this is my one chance for me to like throw out these stupid things that go through my mind. And you've got you to listen to them. And you can leave the room and go, you know, that guy really should retire. Um, you know, maybe they had a life uh, home for old guide dog trainers. I don't know. So the first thing I think about I often wondered when a dog, well, I, I wonder what a dog is thinking. And this is in reference to trainers and sometimes to graduates. When a dog that's lying quietly on the floor and the dog and the trainer or the graduate gives the dog a food reward when another dog passes by or just simply because the dog's lying there quietly. Does the dog understand that the food has been delivered for lying quietly? I don't know. Maybe the dog connects the food being delivered for staring at another dog. I don't know. Maybe the dog connects nothing. Maybe the dog just takes the food and goes back to watching the environment. Or maybe you were so good in delivering the food that that exact second your dog was thinking when they're looking at another dog, yeah, you come one step closer and I am so going to kick your ass. <laughs> and yeah, he just said yes because he gave me food. So that is right. I was just reinforced for that. Or maybe you just put food down there and that dog was thinking, you step one step closer and I'm going to jump up and play with you. I don't know. I don't know what the dog's thinking. But I wonder. Because food just came down. We didn't ask the dog to do anything. We just gave the dog food. Dog probably said, yeah, okay, I'll take it. Food's food. 
But I do wonder that maybe if you're working on dog distractions or people distractions, whatever it may be, I wonder that if you're watching your dog in the moment that that dog made contact and the little ears went eep because they saw a dog or they saw a person and if myself as a trainer at that moment just simply said to the dog, touch. The dog touches. I say, yes, I get food. So now I know what the dog's thinking because I just asked the dog to do something. And I've also said to the dog, leave the environment. Come back to me. Don't stare at that dog. Don't get yourself all worked up about that dog. Come back to me. And I'm going to reward you for that. Focus on me. And if I'm good, and if I think I'm really good, I can then begin to build duration. So I know the dog truly leaves the environment. And by duration, I mean, I might ask the dog to touch. The dog touches. I say, yes, I get food. The next cue I want to put on that is watch me. Because I might say, touch. The dog touches. I don't say yes. The dog stares at me. And when the dog is stared for a bit, yes, I get food. So now I'm building duration. So now I'm convincing the dog, leave the environment, stay with me. I'm asking you to do something. I'm telling you what to do, not what to do. I'm not dropping food from heaven and hoping the dog figures out that that food means whatever. Dogs don't work that way. We have to tell them what to do, not what not to do. And if I'm working on a distraction, I want the dog to focus with me. Otherwise, you're just simply managing the distraction. If you're constantly getting after your dog because it's looking after another dog, you're constantly correcting, you're managing. When you got sight, you can manage a little bit better. When you don't have sight and you give it to a grad, they're going to have trouble managing. And when you're managing, you're not training. You're not giving that dog the opportunity to respond to a behavior. So, got one more to go, and then you're going to be begging for someone to take the mic from me. Because this one is just like out there. But it's thoughts that go through my stupid mind. We know that dogs are inherently social animals. We know that they're strongly motivated to, main con to maintain contact with familiar individuals. They want to avoid isolation. So I can't help but wonder when a behaviorist, when they trot out their proven scientific theories, have any of these theories ever been proven in real life situations? And more importantly, on a daily basis? I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know competition dogs do well in the context of a competition. After all, it's the dog's real opportunity to have meaningful contact with the trainer or the owner, either during training for the competition or during the competition. Seen animals perform really well in the context of training and performing. But what I just happen to wonder, what if the dogs and the other ma mammals had constant contact with the trainer and performed constantly? Would those behaviors diminish? I don't know. Would, and come back here, would random rewards still make the behavior stronger? Is depriving the dog or other mammals or birds of human interaction an unspoken part of these proven theories? I don't know. Are dogs or dog guides in training more responsive to random reward than with the dog guide user due to the kennel isolation? The dog gets out of the kennel, it's their one time to react with you. I mean, the one time to interact with you. They're keyed up. They want that interaction. And you say, oh my God, random reward works so well. My dog is just on the money. Respond, respond, respond. 
and then I give them to the graduate. And I see lots of graduates out there. Do, 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 do. They give their food at the curb. And you know what I see? Do I see the dog ever ignoring things going down the block? No, they get about two feet from the curb and they go, oh boy, here we are. So I'm not quite sure a random reward in the context of guide dog work makes a strong, makes the behavior stronger. And I have to, and my wife tells me all the time that I'm just a blooming idiot. She says, you know, you just think about these things way too much. I don't know. But I do gotta wonder if isolation has a part of it. And if any of my, if my ponderings have any validity, then that simply means you, as guide dog users, must work harder when developing behaviors as your dogs are never isolated. And that means when you step out that door, that environment is much more enticing and stimulating than you are. When we have isolation, you're really exciting because it's their chance to have contact with you. But if they're with you 24 hours a day, I hate to tell you, you're not that exciting. <laughs> they hear you all the time. They have that contact. They sleep on your bed, for God's sakes. And don't tell me they don't, because we know they do. So you step out the door, and they're like, yeah, I'll get back to you in a moment, because you know over here, this is pretty interesting. You've got to work harder. At least I think you do. So in closing, if you remember anything, just remember, always when possible, don't tell the dog what not to do, but what to do. If you're constantly telling the dogs what not to do, you're not training, you're managing. You better give them something to do, something that they can wrap their head around and something you can reward them for. Whenever possible, you need to be proactive rather than reactive. Dogs are social animals. Don't ever think that food reward is a substitution for meaningful, physical, human contact. they got to have it. Um, talk to me later, and I can give you some examples of what happened when that doesn't. i got some really good ones. And the last thing I say is we as humans, we can advocate for ourselves. You know, when you're in class, if you don't like what's going on in class, you can talk to the supervisor. When you're out in the field, if you don't like the field rep, you can let them know. You can advocate for yourself. It's our responsibility, all of us, to advocate for all dogs to be, be treated fairly and humanely. That's all I got to say. Questions? Questions or comments? I actually have a pretty simple question, I hope. Um, so you talked about using touch and, and teaching them the command you know, touch. So what exactly happens? Does the dog just touch you with its nose on the leg? Do you put your hand down to you receive can, the touch? What's the best way to have that all happen? Well, the way, the way we do it and the way um, we talk to graduates about doing it, they just simply take their right hand. They would make a fist. They would put it down. Okay. And any normal dog, if you've never taught touch, the first thing they're going to do is, ooh, what's, in, what's that hand doing? The moment they touch, okay. we click and we re reward. And then eventually we put a cue to it and the word is touch. Yeah, I've done that with other things, but not with me as the end goal. I mean, I've, yeah. I've, ta I've used that in, in like, um, targeting things or, you know, that, but I haven't right. done it this way. So that's great. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I have a very social German Shepherd, which is unusual. When somebody is coming towards me, cooing and talking baby talk to him and telling him how beautiful he is and can they pet him, I pull him back into me quickly and I put him at sit, and I put my hand on the top of his head and curve my fingers down under his chin, and I'm sort of rubbing his the underside of his jaw with my fingers, and I'm keeping his head in close to me so they can't really get to him without my hand being in the way. And that seems to be working because he'll sit quietly and be attentive. And I'm wondering if there's anything else I can do to start working on getting his focus 
back to where he's going instead of looking in all directions. Well, let's um, let's briefly let's just let me let me comment about you know your dog wanting to engage with people. I, I understand when you pull the dog back and you hold the dog back, but you have to understand that if you're if you're restricting the dog's movement going towards the person. No matter how lightly you're restricting that movement, it is negative. It's a negative reinforcer. You're denying the dog what the dog wants to do. So predictably, the dog is always going to continue to try to do that because you've never taught the dog to do something else. Me, the moment someone says, can I, I would say, touch. And I would get the dog to focus back on me. No, you can't go see that person, but you can come to me, and I'm going to highly reward you for that. So you're teaching your dog that in response to someone making eye contact, approaching, doing all the stupid baby noises, leave the environment, come to me, I have something for you. It then becomes more predictable in the dog's behavior because you're predictable. I know that when you hold the dog back, you say, well, that can't be a negative. It is. It's a minor. It is minor, but it is negative. You're restricting the dog from doing what the dog wants to do. Don't tell the dog what not to do. Tell the dog what to do. If I were working a dog down a hallway and I'm working with a graduate, and every time we go by a door, the dog sticks its head in, sticks its head in, sticks its head in, and, you, and the graduate says to me, see, he sticks his head in every time. I would say, well, that's pretty predictable behavior, right? So if you know what's going to happen, why aren't you being more proactive trying to stop it? It's just simply taking the leash out. The dog starts to move. You say, ah, nope, come on, let's go. And I understand at that moment that you're denying the dog what they want to do. But you also are trying to pattern the dog. And we don't live in a perfect world of science when working with guide dogs. Sometimes it does have to be slightly negative. But you can't say, no, pop up, let's go. You could go two steps, stop, and reward the dog. But again, try to focus on being proactive and try to focus on giving the dog something to do rather than just telling the dog what not to do. Question about, you're saying you know, random reinforcement isn't really demonstrated in the real world. Isn't the fact that our dogs work for us, continue to work for us, period, sort of an example? It's the fact that they keep doing it. Isn't that kind of a demonstration that random rewards work? If you look at the technical definition of random reward and intermittent reward, mm -hmm. it's supposed to make the dog work harder to get the reward. Drive harder, work harder. Which, um, And I'm a fairly literal person. I don't look for you know, to tear an explanation apart. So in my mind, if it were really truly working with my dog and they were working harder to get that reward because it becomes randomly to the dog, we deliver it on a random basis, I should see that dog way, 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 way before the curb. I mean, I'm talking halfway up the block, say, oh, my God, I want to get to that curb because I'm an, I may or may not get rewarded there today. I'm, I never see that in guide dog work. I don't. And I really think the reason you don't see it is because of isolation. All these top trainers, when they're training in the field, they use random reward, and they'll tell you how well it works, and you can watch it work, and it works well. But I say that if they had to do that, if the dog had to be formed, perform those behaviors all day out in the general public and they were with that top trainer all day long, it wouldn't work as well. But that's just my crazy thought and my wife will agree. So do you think this touch technique would work to teach a dog to be quiet? You've noticed my dog, I'm sure. 
and she tends to be quiet most of the time and lie under the table. But when another dog is walking around and apparently coming toward her, she will growl because she doesn't want it in her space. If she's off leash and both dogs are in the same room, they will probably play happily together. She's not aggressive, but she's very self-protective, I think. At least that's my latest theory about why she growls so much. There's no... There's no doubt that sometimes the having a dog restricted by being in a harness, by being restricted on a leash, promotes behaviors that we don't want, increases behaviors that we don't want. But you said the key word. You said to me, whenever a dog starts to approach and I hear a dog approaching, she does this behavior. If you can, if you can't hear it, if you don't know the dog's coming, there's not much you can do about it. But you could, but you could... When you first hear the wolf, you, I would begin to work on, instead of saying no, what you can't do, I would say touch what you can do. In hopes that eventually my dog sees a dog, they look towards me, and because you don't have sight, but eventually you might hear the dog and say, oh my God, my dog didn't bark, touch. And then the dog says, wow, I waited, I got, I got told what to do, and I got rewarded for doing that. That's it for the Juno Report for September. The Juno Report is a service of Guide Dog Users Incorporated, a proud affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Visit Guide Dog Users Incorporated on the web at www.guidedogusersinc.org. Thanks to Larry Turnbull and his staff at ACB Radio for providing us with a slot in his schedule. Remember that the Juno Report airs every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on ACB Radio. I'm Nolan Crabb. Until next month, stay safe and may your distractions be minimal.